Welcome to Thursday's program. I'm a Shetland pony today. I'm a little hoarse, but you'll put up with it. How are you? Hope you've had a good Thursday. Mixed bag weather-wise here in Salford. It's drying now. I'm the BBG. Drop me a message through the website richieallen.co.uk in the course of the next two hours. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, it is myself is in it, and Mark Windows from Windows on the World. You can find that at windowsontheworld.net. Mark will be with me in around about 30 minutes' time. We'll have an extended conversation. I do think it's been about a year since Mark was on the programme last. Love the man, he's a great lad, a very, very good researcher. He really is. Mark joins me, and I'm sure you'll have things that you'd like me to put to Mark. We'll cover many topics, I think, today. Yeah, Shetland Pony today. I'm not coming down with anything. I'm just a little bit on the horse side. What happens to me, as you see, today I had many conversations with many, many people. I had many wonderful conversations with many wonderful people. It doesn't do the voice any good. I take great care of my voice. And during the day, during the week, I don't speak to very many people, certainly not before going on air, but I had a load of conversations today with people. I couldn't get away from people. My great friend and engineer, Paul Ripley, was here. We're good to go. Apologies again for yesterday's telephone-in thing that didn't work. Nothing I could do about it. And it was a significant software problem. I couldn't have done anything last night. I tried everything. I rolled up my sleeves and, well, failed miserably. Is what I did. Yeah. Hey, listen. John... No, I nearly said John Claude. It's Jonathan Van Tam. That's the guy. Yes. England's Deputy Chief Medical Officer. This afternoon now, dear listener, he decided he would answer some questions from some younger members of society who might be jab-hesitant, who don't want to go to the jabatoir. Yeah. Who sent that to me last night? It was brilliant. The jabatoir. Youngsters a little bit reluctant, a bit reticent to go and roll up their sleeves for their grannies. The Baxters. So he decided he would do something for the BBC. And they got some young men and women to put questions to him. First up is Sharni. Sharni had a question for JVT, as he has become affectionately known to the nation's presenters. Why should a healthy individual like myself, um, who's had COVID and has experienced nothing more than cold-like flu symptoms, um, be willing to take a vaccine um, that we don't know the long-term effects of yes. at the moment? Good girl. Right. Um, we certainly know that long-term COVID has effects for people, and we know that long-term COVID will be here forever. I can tell you that um, it is... Four billion doses of COVID vaccines have been given around, out around the world and 84 million in the UK. So if there was anything very major going on in terms of side effects um, and long-term consequences, we would by now, I think, have seen those signals. And, you know, 
we just haven't. Um, and, you know, it, it's back to my point that we've got to learn to live with COVID. And um, it may well be that um, in the future, it's going to be more and more difficult to access certain venues and to go on holiday without having been vaccinated. You hear that, Charney? You hear that, young lady? It's going to be very difficult for you to go to the discotheque or to go to Santa Ponza or Ibiza unless you have your jab. He, 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 he's very clever, Van Tam. He talked about 80 billion, I think. I don't know if he said 80 billion, but he said billions, 4 billion maybe, jabs given around the world, he said, right. He cleverly then went, oh, about 80 million in England or in the UK. What he didn't say was that the yellow card reporting system reports that to July the 14th, there have been at least more than a, sorry, at least one and a half thousand deaths attributed to the jabbing. Now bear in mind that the yellow card system has a 1% reporting average. About 1% of people will actually report anything to the yellow card system. So it's many more. Listen now, listen. Several thousand reports of anaphylaxis. That's severe allergic reaction. Thousands of blood clotting reports. 25,500 reports of a variety of menstrual disorders reported after all three of the COVID-19 vaccines were introduced, including heavier-than-usual periods, delayed period and unexpected vaginal bleeding. How could he keep a straight face when he said to young Sharney that if anything was going on, we'd have seen it by now? There is plenty going on with these jabs. Okay. He mentions lockdowns here in response to somebody else's question. I've heard people, you know, say in the media, and I've seen a few headlines that, you know, this is all over by the shouting. I wish it were so. This is not all over by the shouting. Um, I hope the worst is behind us. Um, but I think it's quite possible that we're going to have one or two bumpy periods in the autumn and in the winter, um, not only through COVID, but also through flu and other respiratory viruses as well. Um, you have to remember that um, with the kind of lockdowns that we had um, over the last winter, one of the things we did is we completely shut out um, pretty much all of the other respiratory viruses. And if we don't have further lockdowns, and I hope we don't, um, then I think other respiratory viruses like flu are also going to come back this winter. Mm. It's worth hearing that again. Always worth hearing that again, just because it's important. I hope we don't. Um, then... Let me bring it back a little bit. Sorry about this. And I hope we don't. God, Richie, wake up, will you? Um, pretty much all of the other respiratory viruses. And if we don't have further lockdowns, and I hope we don't, um, then I think other respiratory viruses like flu are also going to come back this winter. And it's going to be equally important that people who are called for their flu vaccines actually make sure, you know, come forwards and have them Come forwards and have them. If we don't have lockdowns, respiratory infections that disappeared last year will return this year. Come and get your flu jabs. I hope we don't have more lockdowns, says Van Tam. I don't believe he's being truthful, but I can't prove. Otherwise, I just don't believe him. 
Mm. Listen to Julia Hartley Brewer from Talk Radio and the Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab speaking this morning about, you know, coercion to take the jabs. You will hear Julia Hartley Brewer first. I know many, many young people in my office in their 20s and 30s, frankly, they're, they're desperate to find somewhere where they can get their jab, their second jab as soon as they can because they'd love to be able to travel and, and also they want to be able to protect uh, other members of the community. But, but threatening to take away your right to go to a concert, a sports match, possibly even your right as a student to go into halls of residence or to go uh, into a lecture hall, that's not coaxing or cajoling, that's a threat. Uh, is that appropriate in a modern liberal democracy. I know it's happening in, uh, in in France, in other countries, but one of the reasons I think that you and I were both Brexiteers, uh, Mr. Rabbit, was because we believe in the, the relationship of the individual to the nation state. Doesn't a vaccine passport, which is being threatened by your government, doesn't that fundamentally completely break the relationship that we as individuals have with the British nation state? Foreign Secretary? Do you know what? I, I, I share many of your instincts, but I don't agree uh, in this case. And I'll tell you why. First of all, at the moment, you can't go um, to those pop concerts and uh, some of those um, uh, 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 things because we can't host them yet, be- precisely because the risk of transmission and the impact it might have on hospitals is too high. We want to get to a position where we open up those opportunities, if you like, uh, sort of emancipate people further, particularly with those social things people want to do. And the question is whether we can achieve that for more people if we say, well, uh, at least to begin with, uh, we can only do it reliably and sure-footedly and safely if you've had a double vaccine to go there. And that is because we always, in this kind of situation, are balancing uh, individual liberties with the liberties of everyone else. I I don't think there's any escaping that formulation. Balancing individual liberties with everybody else's liberties. You know, you don't have the individual right to say, no, I won't have one of the jabs because it impacts on wider society. If you think that you're hearing this quite a bit now, brace yourself. Brace yourself because you're going to be hearing it increasingly more and more often as we get out of this summer and into the autumn. It's going to become extreme. I think the, the, the pressure to go and have one of these jabs is going to be extreme in the very near future. All right. There was Dominic Grab, Julia Hartley Brewer. I've had a message from Michael. Michael says, Richie, my sister, who's in her 70s, had two jabs. Ten days after her second jab, she had vaginal bleeding. This is now personal for me and has actually affected my family. I will never, ever get this jab. You will have to kill me. And at that point, I will be good to go anyway. That's Michael. And I believe Michael to be telling the truth. Nobody reaches out to you and sends you a message like that unless it's true. 25,800 reports. Remember, 1% of people likely to report. It's very much like radio participation. You know, active listeners in radio. It's a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of your audience that will actually engage with you, send you an email or phone in, right? That's right across the board. It's the same with this yellow card reporting system. The great majority of people who might have been injured by a jab are not likely to get on the website and actually report it. Honestly, I'm not making that up. That's the truth. Yes, Michael, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. It's uh, exactly 11 and a half minutes past the hour.
Climate change is all the rage today. Let's have a listen to Sarah Jane Me on Sky News opening up her programme at three o'clock this afternoon. Climate change, be afraid, be very, very afraid, be afraid. Hello, good afternoon. We begin with a stark warning that the impact of climate change is being felt in the UK right now. The Met Office has revealed that the UK's weather now ranks in the top 10 for heat, rainfall and sunshine for the first time on record. Forecasters warn that British summers may start regularly hitting 40 degrees Celsius, that's 104 degrees Fahrenheit, even if global warming targets are met. Well, last year it was the UK's third warmest on record, with the highest temperature, 37.8 degrees Celsius, that was recorded in July. It was also the fifth wettest, with the total average rainfall reaching more than 1,300 millimetres. And it was also the eighth sunniest on record, averaging almost 1,500 hours of bright sunshine. (laughs) 1,500 hours of bright sunshine, we're all going to die. Sky News is, I think, the first broadcaster on the planet to run a daily climate change show with a, almost like a a telethon running total. Remember the telethons? with the running total. Well, they do a climate change show on Sky every day. And in the background are figures that are adding up all the time about how closer we're getting to the 1.5 degree rise in temperature, which is going to kill us. It's going to kill us stone dead, brown bread. These people, they they astound me, these people. This fear mongering. Yeah. So they're all over this today that the UK is now, right now, seeing the impact of climate change because it's been a bit sunnier and because we had a temperature of 37 degrees. Now, it's well known that there was a medieval warming period in this country where temperatures far greater than 37 degrees were experienced. They know this, right? The the scientists have been saying this for years. Grapes were grown in Yorkshire. It was so warm. And this predated the Industrial Revolution. But don't let facts get in the way of your madness. Let's listen to Dr. Benny Pizer. Dr. Benny Pizer. Benny's an expert. He is the director of the Global Warming Policy Forum. And he was on Ian Collins' talk radio programme today. Come on, Benny. You give it to him straight, son. Uh, Neither the planet nor mankind is dying. Yes, we're not dying. Um, (laughs) only people who don't understand anything about climate science would make these claims. I love this man already. Um, We are clearly in a warming world. We're coming out of the last ice age. We still are. Global temperatures have been rising for some time, but they've been rising fairly moderately. And um, I feel a bit sorry for the climate activists, because this is a kind of ritual, ritualistic discussion that has been going on for 30, 40 years. Fantastic. Benny, if I knew where you were, I'd kiss you. Fan dabby dozy, our Benny. Nobody's dying. Uh, n- neither the planet nor mankind is dying. Now, in the interest of balance, and we love a bit of balance on the Richie Allen Show... They sweep their mess under the carpet for our generation to clean up and solve. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. People are suffering. People are dying. Dying? 
Entire ecosystems are collapsing. Collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. How dare you? Benny? Uh, neither the planet nor mankind is dying. Go on, Benny. What does Benny say next to Ian Collins? I like this. Well, if that's the case, they, then they are very foolish because they should know that the most important issue is to protect communities rather than just but is that, on. is that a false protection? Is that a short-term thinking? If you're protecting communities, saying we don't want to put your bills up too much because you know that's very d difficult for you, but don't worry, you're going to fry to death in the meantime, then they would no, say, well, it's, it's a false end, isn't death. it? No scientists say we are going to be fried to death. They are saying that if, I mean, the, the, the majority of... Listen to this very carefully. Do you know, it's funny, we don't often think about what Dr. Pizer is going to say next, and we really should. We, we don't think about it often enough. Listen to what he says, and you'll be saying, yeah, why don't we make this point more often? Of scientists say that if we don't decarbonize, which, as I said, is highly unlikely, given the global picture, then we will face... By 2100, by 2100, we will face temperatures somewhere between one and a half and three and a half degree warmer. Brilliant. So the lunatics on the climate change evangelical circuit, they say if we don't stop producing carbon, by 2100, we will increase the planet's temperature between one and a half and three degrees centigrade. That's what they say. And we never think to say what Benny says next, and it's irrefutably true. That's what they're saying. It doesn't mean that we'll all die. No. It would mean we live in a very, very hot, warm climate. Yeah. But that doesn't mean, you know, the extinction of mankind. That's, that's a scare that no credible scientist would okay. say. Yes, that's fantastic. And I do remember the great geologist from Australia, Ian Plymer, making this point, dear listener, many, many times. Plymer used to say, listen, I'm in a room, right? If I move into the next room, there might be a two degree increase in temperature. <laughs> it's insane to say that if we don't stop manufacturing and if we don't stop growing crops and if we don't stop farming animals, we will produce so much carbon that we will increase the temperature by three degrees. Now, it's not insane to say that if you can prove it. Even if they could prove it, which they can't, a three-degree temperature rise is not going to do what they say it will do, which is wipe out mankind and make life on Earth unbearable. That is poppycock. It's balderdash. It is balderdash, dear listener. Of course it is. And he, he also says in the interview to Collins, and you can get it on the Twitter thing for talk radio, right? He also says that, listen, we've had storms sandstorms, desert storms, ice storms, melting and regeneration of icebergs. We've had those things for millennia, for millions of years. And Piers Corbin, probably better than anybody, understands this. And he talks about how, you know, temperatures follow... Uh, don't follow CO2, CO2 follow temperatures, or however he puts it. It's absolutely ridiculous. Fair play to this guy Collins on talk radio for at least bringing on uh, Dr. Penny. But it's right, even if it did go to three degrees warmer on average in 2100 than today, it wouldn't mean that life would be very difficult for people. It would mean that we'd have fantastic summers, 
wouldn't we? Be lovely, wouldn't it? We won't be around, of course, you and I. But anyway, yes, good stuff. 20 minutes past the hour, Mark Windows uh, will be standing by, no doubt, professional as he is, to be with me in a few moments' time. Good lad. Good lad, Benny. Now, social media is being hijacked to create a distorted impression of reality that lots of people are falling for. Who says this? Damien Collins, a Conservative Party MP. He's been discussing his super committee. He's on a super committee and they're examining a draft online safety bill. And this is very important. It's more than important. This is where censorship is going to go. This is huge. This is this, They're now putting their stall out, to use a great cliché, as to how they're going to basically clamp down on dissent, no matter where that dissent comes from, and no matter what that dissent is pertaining to. Because it might be dissent on climate change, which is a hoax. It might be dissent on vaccines, which are dangerous. They're going to clamp down on it. They're going to erase people from the internet entirely. They're not just going to kick you off Twitter and delete your YouTube channel. No, they're going to get rid of you if you're saying that which they don't like. So he's saying that people are so vulnerable now, dear listener. They are so vulnerable that they are being led down a garden path by crazy conspiracy theorists. You see, their theory is people are not capable of thinking for themselves. So we, the government, will think on your behalf. We don't think that you are capable of listening to the Richie Allen show, for example, and listening to a scientist from America or from England giving their opinion on COVID. We don't think you are capable of listening to that and making your own judgment. So we feel we've got to get rid of basically the independent media. That's what's going to happen. Listen to what he says to Talk Radio's Mike Graham. Today, this is Damien Collins pay attention. Fake news disinformation has always existed. People have always had conspiracy theories. But what we see now is that social media can be hijacked by people to create a totally distorted impression that lots of other people believe these conspiracies as well. And it's the experience of social media, which is so unlike any other media we've had, where it becomes a personalized channel where people can be radicalized to believe extraordinary things, some things that could actually be personally harmful to them. Yeah, and the online safety bill obviously covers a great many areas. Yeah, says Mike Graham. This is Mike Graham on Talk Radio who portrays himself as an alternative to the mainstream. Yeah, he says. Instead of pulling Collins up saying, hang on a second, what do you mean? There's a distorted picture of reality on social media and we have to stop that. What about what about people's individual rights to listen to whatever they want to listen to and to come to their own conclusion? How can you possibly say that it it is harmful for somebody to hear another scientist claim that lockdowns are dangerous and that the vaccines are probably not safe? That's what that's what Mike Graham should do if he is indeed the the, the alternative. But he goes along with it. It's tyranny what Collins is proposing. We, the government, big brother, we will throw a blanket around you and prevent you hearing things which we think might do you harm. You get no say in it. This goes back to the video nasties, which my great pal Hayden Hewitt is a certifiable expert on. 
when they said back in the early 80s that very silly movies like The Driller Killer and I Spit on Your Grave, they needed to be banned because we were, well, of course I was a child then, but, but my parents and my aunts and uncles, they were incapable of watching these films and making their own minds up about whether they were any good or whether they were dangerous. Silly movies, you know? We're back to it again now, but they're determined to push this through. They really are. So what does it mean for you as, as, a, as an MP? You're chairing a committee that's sort of going through it line by line. What is it that you're looking for it to do, if you like? So, so the, the bill itself creates a, a mechanism whereby an independent regulator can hold to account social media companies for whether they take down and remove harmful content and illegal content. Listen to that again now. Because who's going to be the regulator? Who will become the independent regulator, which men and which women will get to tell social media companies which content they must delete and when. The bill itself creates a, a mechanism whereby an independent regulator can hold to account social media companies for whether they take down and remove harmful content and illegal content. Wow. Because, and they take it down because it's against their own terms of service or it's illegal and should be removed anyway. So an independent body will have the power to do that. And crucially, the power to, crucially now. power to go into the big tech companies and demand access to data and information as part of their investigations. Wow. Go to Twitter and to Facebook and demand access to data as part of their investigations. So you are doing what you think is your civic duty by posting to social media about the genuine harms from the COVID jabs. This independent regulator will not only have the power to compel Facebook and Twitter to get rid of you, but they'll also be able to get your details, find out where you are and who you are. Deliciously dystopian, isn't it? In a way that we just can't do at the moment. In a way that we just can't do at the moment. But we want to. These people, huh? This is where you can probably hear it in my voice. I'm struggling and working really hard not to shout. Because it's not good when you shout. Certainly not on radio anyway. Oh, what I wouldn't give to be in a room alone with Damien Collins for a few minutes. Not to beat the granny out of him, but to put him straight on a few things. These people are mad. It's 26 minutes past the hour. Isn't it sinister, isn't it? But that's where it's going. You know, some very good friends of mine who have worked in the media for many, many years know the media inside out. Some of them have worked in academia. They've been warning me for the last couple of years that... It won't be too long now before there isn't a, a programme like this anymore. They'll make it impossible. How long before these guys move away from Twitter and Facebook and go after the servers? How long before they go after the servers and tell the servers that they can no longer host, for example, the Richie Allen show? I would say... 12 to 18 months from now. And I've never been a pessimist in my life. That's what I would say. And you might say, well, it is pessimistic, Richie. No, it's where they're going. This is um, dystopia on steroids. This is Orwellianism. This is Orwellian in the extreme. And some of us have been, you know, worried about this and concerned about it and speaking about it. I don't want to be arrogant and say, you know, uh, uh, we've uh, predicted it or I've predicted it. No, no, talking about it. And, and worrying about it for some time. And here we are. Would you like to hear some George Harrison, would you? Why not? I'd like to hear some. Here's George Harrison. 
and My Sweet Lord on your Richie Allen Radio Show. Live from Stalford, Mark Windows limbering up in the shadows there. Love Mark, can't wait to hear from him. BB, not BB, jeez, I nearly said it, didn't I? God, if you want to say something, it's richieallen.co.uk. Send me a message through the contact form and I'll read them out when I get a chance. George Harrison and my sweet lord, it's just gone 5.30 here in Salford. Great old tune, that. Love my next guest. I love speaking with him because he takes the conversation in any direction and is very well briefed on any issue you care to mention. You may well have caught him over the years giving, putting on presentations and giving speeches on the agendas that we are witnessing at the moment, the ones unfolding in front of our eyes. He's a terrific broadcaster, great researcher. You'll find him at windowsontheworld.net. You'll find him on YouTube. You'll find him on Spreaker. It's been a year, which is a real shame, but I'm delighted to welcome back to the uh, programme my old colleague uh, from London, Mark Windows himself. How are you doing, Mark? Welcome back. Hi, Richie. Great to be with you. It's been a long time, hasn't it? It has, mate. No, I'm delighted you're back on. You might not want to tell me, but you're not you're not on these shores at the moment. Is it feasible? No, I, where, where are you? I've been travelling. I went to see some listeners to the show in Bulgaria, and now I'm doing some other things which are all connected to Windows on the World in an Asian country. So Fantastic. Uh, this does prove that you can still travel if you have the will to do it and a good reason. Good man and a good reason. So, so we don't we don't want to know exactly where you are, but but um, without giving any clues, what is the lockdown status of of where you are? Are things pretty open where you are? Can you get about without all of these mask wearing mandates and that kind of thing? Well, actually, Richie, I arrived here two days before a major lockdown. I'm actually in Nepal, which obviously borders India and China, and it takes a lot of influence from India. So there was a very dramatic lockdown here with roadblocks every mile and very threatening to start with, but it all kind of eased off. And as a tourist here, which is what I'm classed as, it's easier to move about. So it's not too bad. But I came here really because I'm setting up some work and possible things for the future because I think that's what we've all got to do. So I left the UK on the 3rd of February, I didn't have my car ready, I couldn't get the documents, so I flew to Bulgaria to see some listeners, and I'm working on a few things here, and hoping to go back there, so yes, I am getting around. Brilliant, mate, glad to hear it, it's, uh, it's it, you know, as well as I know you, and I worked with you obviously in London, and we've done plenty of radio shows since, it's, it's, it's really you that, I can picture you, <laughs> I can picture you <laughs> travelling around, meeting people that you've gotten to know through your show, and organising things, it, it's really you, that is you, that is Mark Windows. Um, can I ask you, I, I, I always try and stay positive, and I am remaining positive. It sounds to me, without you giving me too much information, it sounds to me that you're making plans for post-whatever is coming next. Is there, in the short term, Mark, some sort of inevitability that things are going to change in a way that's not going to be good for us. I'm not saying that we're not going to eventually triumph, that that decency and goodness won't eventually beat this, because I think it probably will. Please, God, if there is a God, whoever. But in the meantime, are we in for some pain, do you think? Well, what we're actually experiencing is what I've been talking about for 15 years. 
COVID is merely an acceleration of the global action plan. And that plan was brought in in the early 90s and dates back to the 60s through the 1980s. So what we're seeing now is a rush to that conclusion. And that conclusion is not good. That conclusion is something that we've been talking about for a very long time. Years. You said 15 yes. years. 15 years. And I've been sent a lot of emails this afternoon from people who know you well, know you through the show, and they were saying, Richie, you know, ask Mark this and get into that. Um, you have Nadim Zahawi this afternoon, the vaccine minister. He's made an announcement about people travelling to a certain theme park that they will be facilitated to have the jab at the park in between rides. There's a real desperation, it would appear, right now for them to jab youngsters. Is there some positivity, Mark, to be taken out of something that was said by, by I think it might well have been Sajid Javid, the health secretary, yesterday. He said that so far, three million people in their 20s have declined to have even the first jab. Do we take something out of that? Are we? Can we get excited about that? Well, I think what we have to do, Rich, is look at what the actual figures are, because I think in the UK they might have actually been well, not very honest about them. It's really difficult to say because in other countries, the, the take-up of the vaccine has been much lower than in the UK. Now, the UK has very much gone along with this and other countries are a little bit more cynical. However, what we have to think about is the consensus. What they're trying to reach is... A consensus. In other words, the public have all agreed. And if you are outside that, you're an outlier, you're a health hazard, you're a biohazard and you need to be removed. That is the, what they're trying to do. Yeah. They're trying to get the public to enforce this. And that system is called communitarianism. You mentioned it earlier, that MP. Basically, they're saying all rights come with responsibilities. Yeah. In other words, they talk about community rights, but community rights aren't the community they're imposed from above through consensus. And I'm always very wary of consensus because when they say there's a consensus in my research over the past 15 years, a consensus merely means it appears through the media and through channels of authority that the public have agreed on something. It doesn't mean they actually have. Well said. That's very interesting that. And yeah, and you're right. They they are using, they are well attempting. It would would appear to turn friend against friend, mum against daughter, father against son over the jabs. You're absolutely bang on, Mark, and I can see that. Look, we're going to jump around in this conversation a little bit. Mark Windows is our guest. Windows on the world .net. Go to Spreaker, download it, listen to the program. It's a very valuable program. I've been saying this for years. I've, I don't endorse very much. Mark Windows doesn't need my endorsement, but I'm giving it to him anyway. It's a great show and it's brilliantly researched, which I love. I love good research. When we spoke in August last year, because we are going to jump around quite a bit, because it's timely today, you were... And one of the things you've done on this programme here with me over the years is explained how the climate agenda would be rolled out, this global action plan would be rolled out locally. And you were very clever, mate, doing that. It was brilliant how you saw that, how this would be done on a local level. And we talked about that. But last uh, summer, late last summer, when you were last on, you did tell us, even back then, 
and this whole scam was only six months old, you did say very clearly to me, and I could dig it out if I wanted, you said, watch climate change. Watch how climate change will accelerate alongside COVID and how they will be intertwined, into, almost intermarried, how the COVID will bleed into climate change. And uh, by God, you're right, aren't you? Because I've had guests on recently, including a researcher from the United States of America, who's been able to demonstrate that they're already talking about climate lockdowns, Mark. Well, you were there a long time ago. Yes. Yes, absolutely, because climate change underpins the global action plan. The whole idea of environmentalism has gone right through everything. And of course, it's recruited many people. And that's the idea, because the whole idea was that we were a threat to the planet. We need to be drastically reduced in population and we need to agree to it. So that's really what the agenda was about. And it came from the Club of Rome. It came from the first global revolution. And they clearly stated that the climate would be the driver of the new governance system because everybody wants to save the world. And if you don't, well, then you are the enemy. And that's what they're doing. The communitarian system demonizes everything outside of it. So in other words, they need the public to create this divide and rule so that if you don't agree with vaccines, you don't agree with climate change, then you're far right and you're full of hate and you're radicalized. I mean, it's very simple, the terminology they use. And if you've been a victim of hope, not hate, so have I. They're quite comedic because they're 100% (laughs) ineffective and they just get us more listeners. But the point is that this goes through everything. And the problem, the main problem in the UK is that MPs and people in government, local government included, all talk this new language. In other words, individual rights have to be balanced against the rights of the community. What community? The consensus that's being opposed from above, which says it's the community. It's quite simple. It's a totalitarian system that masquerades as community. And it's quite clever, but once you see the template, it's in everything. And this is what I've been talking about for years. So it doesn't matter whether it's COVID or climate change. It's all the same template. And the problem is that these people are speaking a language that they don't even understand. I mean, you try looking at the UN. There are, they've got the Global Food Summit, the control of global food supplies on at the moment. And if any of them doesn't say resilient, sustainable, vibrant and diverse every two seconds, then it's not a UN conference. These people don't have their own minds. They don't understand the terminology of what they're actually using. So in other words, sustainable merely means drastically reduced population. That's what it means. That's what it's always meant. Yeah. You you answered my next question because you, you said it's clever. A guy like you has been watching it for years. You do, I suppose, to defeat something, you do have to acknowledge its strengths and you do admire it, don't you? I do sometimes. Like what, what they did, you know, um, I, I wrote a little piece on my website about how they basically took over local radio over a 30-year period going back to 1989, the European Union directive uh, to deregulate radio and how all the member states did it. Just a little piece, but at the end of it, I concluded by saying it's kind of admirable how they managed to do it. I'm not saying that I think it's good you just have to kind of acknowledge it because if you don't, you're underestimating the enemy. Is there some truth in that? Well, I don't think it's actually that clever, Richie. I think it's imposed 
in a very totalitarian way and they just stick to it. So in other words, if people keep hearing the same thing over and over again, they will give in and agree with it. And that's really what it is. It's about repetition Repetition, and infiltration because the whole of this new system is all about infiltration. And if the population did not accept that infiltration, it wouldn't work. So that says a lot of how people have been changed, especially through the climate change agenda and the system over the past 30 years. People talk in a different way now. In other words, if you don't wear a mask, you're selfish and my mask is protecting you as well. So basically it all comes down to the basic tenets of communitarianism, which is the system which underpins the whole concept it's overridden of course in the top layer by technocracy which is of course the internet of things so what you've got is this technocratic system which masquerades as a global community and no one will be left behind and these mantras that they put out are all the same they're simple the system is not complicated but people can't get their heads around that it's infiltrated everything and it has done in the UK since the big society in 2010 and people have forgotten that now that's where all of these change agents were mentored put into local government that's where people were changed all those people are very well embedded now which is why you've got all these low traffic neighborhoods and all the rest of it anyone's going well how did this happen because you let it you allowed infiltration you've got some memory my friend jesus you've got some memory i'd forgotten all about david cameron's big society well done it's very important richie because obama did the same thing in america and started off with community organizers now what happened was they started mentoring people into the climate change agenda so basically everyone in public office now believes in the climate change agenda and if they don't okay they're far right and they're an extremist and they get demonized because everybody who is outside the accepted narrative in this system is demonized that's how it works but really they need the public to demonize you as well and that's why in a way we're modern day heretics and heretic just means able to choose and i think that's quite a good comparison but yeah the big society I covered quite a lot on you it did, because yeah. I noticed this infiltration. But the infiltration is at every level. And now you've got a problem because the public are speaking an entirely different language than they were 30 years ago. How important was... so? Because when this big society... Well well done, by, by the way, this is good stuff. 2010, you had Cameron's big society. It was around about 2010. Like Twitter was a couple of years old then. How important then was social media? Because you said that it was important that the public begin to demonise people. And of course, one of the ways the public does that is on social media. So social media was very handy at the time, wasn't it? Well, yes. And of course, we've got to look at who controls social media because, of course, Facebook was a CIA concept called LifeLog. And these things were set up for that very reason. They were set up to basically make a global community. And the global community is intolerant to anything outside it and basically intolerant to fact because we live in a post-truth world now. We've talked about that before. It doesn't matter about facts. People respond to emotion and belief. And that statement was made by Gail Bradbrook from Extinction Rebellion. So these people 
know how to manipulate public opinion through their feelings and beliefs. And it's all done through guilt shaming. It's quite clever, but it's not that clever. No. What we also got was people using very radical ideas of community organizing, and they were depending on activists such as Saul Alinsky, who was a radical campaigner in the 1960s, who used very subversive techniques. Rules for Radicals is available at windowsontheworld.net on our free books page, by the way, if you want to download it. Read the 13 Rules for Radicals, and you will see how this system is being imposed through the Saul Alinsky method also locally, because these people start off at a low level with it, which can just mean that they demonize anyone outside the accepted narrative. But as it goes up the scale, it goes into criminality where the police are involved. Community policing is basically acceptance of criminality if it is seen to be for the good or the greater good or the common good. Now, that means that individual rights do not exist because you may find that your little charity building is squatted and taken over by Antifa type radicals or leftists, as they call them now, which aren't really leftists, as you know. Yeah. But this new idea of the left, which, of course, left and right is a pantomime. But the point is that they will be able to get away with crimes. Now, this is where it gets sinister, because I started seeing this, that people who were going against the global action plan were not only being demonized, but being attacked having their lives threatened and worse. So this system is entirely intolerant, yet it masquerades as a big community. So all of the lower level people who are involved with it, which is the public, they think it's all about the common good and it's for the good of everybody. Well, we must all be vaccinated. We must all save the planet. They believe this stuff. Now, what they don't understand about this system is it's completely totalitarian. They didn't really want to bring in a totalitarian-looking system because those have failed before. Yeah. So they blended this new system, which was born from com com communism, well, communitarianism. And it, the term was actually co coined in 1841 by John Goodwin Barmby, and he founded the Universal Communitarian Association and also the Londonist communist, sorry, the London Communist Propaganda Society in 1841. And then slightly later in 1909, Webster's changed the definition of communitarianism to being part of a community relating to a community rather than communism. So it was all changed. And a lot of people don't get this, but it's why everything has changed so radically in the past 30 years, because they're using a new system to govern people and people aren't aware of that. So, yes, we can talk about, oh, Ian Collins on LBC and all these people. They don't know anything about this system, no, yet they they're using its it. language. Yeah, they so don't. they've been programmed into it, too. So it's clever in some ways. It's dystopian. And it's also deeply sinister when you see the infiltration and how it's used in every part of the media, every part of governance and coming out of the mouths of MPs. This is a very important point and I want to draw my listeners' attention to it because a lot of our, I think a lot of our listeners, people who, 
have had some sort of understanding that something is wrong. They will listen to Windows on the World, they will listen to other programmes. And they will look at people like, um, say, Kay Borley. They will look at people like Nicky Campbell. And they will immediately imagine them as shills and, you know, paid puppets and, and all of that. But what you've done there is taken a very mature, and not just a mature, but an accurate look at who these people are. They're not necessarily shills and liars. I think you're quite right. I think in many cases they've been programmed to believe the things that they say and the, the things they talk about on their programmes. I think people need to wise up to that and get away from assuming that everybody they hear on television is their sworn enemy and is knowingly, you know, supporting dangerous uh, jabs or dangerous lockdowns. They're not. And that's very important, that point, Mark, because you can't really begin to understand what's going on if you don't begin to first acknowledge that people are often not acting of their own volition, that they've been programmed. I think that's important. I don't know how important you think it is, but I think it's important that people understand that. I'm not giving these people a pass. I'm not. But I also don't see them as, you know, as infiltrators or spies or or plants, uh, MI6 plants that are producing radio programmes. I don't see it like that. I see them as being, having been at some stage taken in by, by this agenda you described. Am I wrong? No, it's it's right. I mean, the thing is, it doesn't matter whether they're so-called left-leaning or right-leaning. Yeah, yeah. They're all reading from the same hymn sheet. It yes. doesn't matter. And they believe it. Because the right and left is not important in this system. No. Because the system operates above right and left. The system is being imposed from above. So it doesn't matter whether it's Nigel it's Farage arguing with someone who's meant to be on the left and pro-immigration. It doesn't matter because the outcomes are still going to be the same. There's going to be a synthesis of the antithesis, um, and the, sorry, the, the thesis and the antithesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're creating a synthesis, and that synthesis is this new society. And people fail to see it, but once you see it, it's glaringly obvious. Here's a question for you now. I should have asked you this question years ago. I can't speak to your intelligence. I think you're very intelligent because I listen to you and I read. When you post something, I read it. I think you've got a great grasp of things. But I think that's separate from intellect. Now, I'm not saying you don't have a high in intellect at all. I'm not saying that. I don't think I'm any brighter than the next guy. So here's the question. Now, this is the philosophical question. Why did people like us be begin to understand that something was very wrong and others of equal intelligence, decent people now, our friends and our neighbours, they haven't seen it. I've never been able to put my finger on that. So my answer has always been, before I shut up and get out of your way, my answer for myself has always been that I was lucky, that something fell into my lap at the right time, or I saw something at the right time. I don't believe, not because I'm modest, because I don't think I'm particularly modest, I'm not particularly boastful either, I'm neither, I'm in the middle. I don't think I'm brighter than anybody else. So why us, why did we see it and others don't? Have you any idea? Well, I think having a look at the bigger picture and how things coordinate is very useful because most people think that local politics are local. They don't see them as global implemented locally. They yeah. can never get their heads around that. They can't get their heads around that their MPs 
are not fighting for issues which are relative to the local community. In other words, they're imposing global governance system on the community. They never understand that. But I think the problem is the more people listen to mainstream media, the more people read newspapers, the more hoodwinked they are because you can't see it then. You have to take an overview. And when you talk about this to people who've lived under totalitarian regimes, they get it straight away. I think the problem in the UK is that people still think that those idiots shouting over that bench in Parliament have any control over what's going on. They have no control of what's happening at all. None whatsoever, And even those that are doing it, Richie, still think that they have input. In a way, they're the ideal useful idiots. And people do not get this. They blame politicians. Boris Johnson has got nothing to do with this. Absolutely. Boris Johnson is a hostage of global governance. Basically, he has a gun to his head, but you can't see it. These people are in their positions and they have to carry this stuff out because it was all brought in a long time ago. This global governance structure, which people can't see because they didn't read about it, was brought in through our common future in 1987, which was a new system of governance which would allow corporations to basically take over from governments. Now, that's a very simplistic analogy of what's in that document. You can download it at Windows yeah, but you're right. free books page. But the point is, Richie, that when you read what these people were saying, which I was doing talks on, it stands out glaringly, obviously, what is going to be imposed. But even people who go through the education system especially will not see anything in those statements which they can decode because they're not really looking at the bigger picture and what's actually being said. And you see this a lot. I mean, most things now are obfuscation. You know, everyone uses logical fallacies, for instance. Give us an example. Give us an example of one. Well, you know, they say, I suppose you think Elvis lives on the dark side of the moon if you think that climate change doesn't exist. Now, I've had that thrown at me so many times. And I think when we went to Wales, we went to a place called Fairbourne to tell them that they didn't have to leave because the sea wasn't going to rise three feet and the houses weren't going to get flooded out. Yeah. That a local MP said, quite frankly, Mark Windows' conspiracy theories are about as likely as alien remains being found at Roswell. Now, no. that's a really bad one, actually, Richie, because as I think alien remains were found Might very well Roswell, have been found, exactly. <laughs> well said. Hey, by the way, were you, 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 you were talking about that, you were talking about that um, village that they've decommissioned. That's what you're talking about. Fairborn, yes. Oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, you're right. Like, there's no evidence that this place is going to be under three feet of water. And yet, they've basically told everybody there that in a few years' time, they'll have to get the hell out. It's just in... I, yes, I can't get over because that. because they want to rewild it. Yeah, rewild it, that's re-wilded. right. It was, it was chosen for rewilding because it's a small community that can be very easily bullied, which is why I thought we should have a go there. So we did some talks there. We, One of our listeners actually lived up the road in Tawin. So we booked the village hall in Fairborn. We had a call from the Cambrian Times, and the fellow listened to me. I sent him the resignation letter 
from Niels Axel Mourner when he resigned from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change because of their scientific fraud. Yes. I gave them all his, compass, uh, his um, qualifications and I went through several documents, the IPCC, AR4 and AR5, I think, with him on the phone. And I pointed out the anomalies, the lies and the fraud. And what I was expecting in the paper was sea level expert offers to represent Fairborn in court over decommissioning. What he actually published was protest planned for climate change deniers talk. So he incited a protest at a public interest event. And the funny thing was, there was only one protester and we asked him to come in. He said, I'm not paying. I said, it's free. <laughs> and he ran off. <laughs> oh, it was just unbelievable, Richie. I mean, but we had the world's leading expert in sea levels yeah. offering to yeah. be an expert witness for them in court. And it could have been a landmark case. But did they take it up? No, they didn't. Did you Some hear what Mark Windows just said there? Yeah. Did, uh, did you hear what Mark Windows just told you? And I know this to be true, you know. The people in that village were given the opportunity to have a man who, he, he resigned from the IPCC, as Mark said, because he couldn't be part of a fraud. And he's saying, look, this is nonsense. You don't have to lose your homes, your land, for this rewilding garbage. And they don't want to know. How, over the years, have you managed to keep so genial and so cordial and not lose your temper and, you know, reduce yourself to their level? I'd love to be like you, because I'm not. I mean, you kind of well, know. Well, actually, Richie, I, I get quite angry about it myself. <laughs> but the problem is that that's one of their triggers. So you have to be very careful with yeah, that yeah. and stay calm because then, of course, they accuse you of being aggressive and full of hate, you know. Jesus. But the thing is that I'm seeing this as an overview now. And I realize that most people do not want to even look at it in any depth at all. And that is a big problem. I was going around doing my talks and everything that's happening now at a thousand miles an hour was happening then at 200 miles an yeah, hour. Yeah. So it's the same agenda. Nothing's changed. COVID's just an accelerant, a driver of the global action plan. And it is very frustrating. But I went through that years ago and now... I see this as a lifelong learning project. In other words, let's have a look at how it really works. And the problem is that most people don't want to know. They actually don't want to know how it works. They want to know how it works for them. There's an and analogy. that's what's clever about this system, because it actually makes them feel virtuous by being part of a collective. And that's another thing. All of this stuff is psychological. It's all about collectivising people into appearing to agree. Mark Windows is our guest. It's just gone six o'clock. It's a minute past six here in Salford. It's getting on into the night there in Nepal. Mark is in Nepal. I know you'll have heard of Mark, but if it's your first time coming across him, because we do, all of us, we do meet new people along our journeys. If you are hearing Mark for the first time, I expect you to pop along to windowsontheworld.net, find Mark on Spreaker, listen to him. He, he always has fantastically interesting guests. And like him, they're very well briefed. They are qualified to speak on these subjects. By the way, you gave me a good answer to my previous question. And I'm not saying you didn't answer it. You did. It was a good answer. I suppose I'll never know because 
I was mired in the newspapers and I was mired in producing mainstream radio programmes. And yet somehow, despite all of that, I came to some understanding that something was very wrong. And I'm not being modest when I say that it wasn't because I've got insight or I've got more intelligence. It just definitely was in that. I'm wondering, is there something else going on, something spiritual, you know? Is some good force, is there some decent energy in the universe that's randomly picking out people like us, randomly and saying, right, you can know. You know what I mean, Mark? You can know. For some opposition to this bloody plan. That's, I, I, I'll probably never know why I ended up... Um, going down this road because it's very easy that I could have ended up just staying in mainstream media and heaven forbid I might have been the dipstick that might have been in Ireland when you were in Ireland Mark and I might have been on the radio saying ah there's some stupid conspiracy theorists crazy tinfoil hat wearers in Waterford this afternoon um, sure we'll, we'll bring them on the programme and we'll laugh at them I might have been that guy you see I don't know how it works but uh, I thank God if there is a God that uh, you know, I'm I'm alive to at least some of what's going on because I certainly don't know everything. I, I speak to people like you to try and get a grasp of uh, of the bigger picture. Mark Windows is our guest. But when when um when we get to this winter, I ask you these questions, and if they're tedious for you, tough shit, Paddy. I say not that, at all. I, I'm no, quite, I, I'm I, I think I think your point about this spiritual aspect is very interesting. How do you feel about it? it yeah, it's been my route for a very long time. And it's quite interesting, the sort of people that you meet along the way. And I have been very fortunate to accumulate some brilliant people around me. And they are very good people. So I think there is something going on. The problem is the collectivization of the public is to me quite scary because yeah. I can see us being branded as modern day heretics and instead of being burnt at the stake, something else might happen. However, I think that this global action plan is being pushed rather too hard. Now, they are in a position where they can't go back now. So I think we're in interesting times. It's very, very dangerous, though, because anything could crop up alongside COVID, not necessarily an increase in the pandemic. In other words, a real pandemic. It could be something else because these people are quite strategic and they have many arrows to fire. And that's what's disturbing and also very interesting about the times we're in but I think that they are pushing it too far and this communitarian system which has been put in place over the past 10 years I think that it's very transparent once you see it so I think there is hope that people will come to their senses but we've got to remember that a lot of people are so brainwashed into this system they can't see outside of it no They'll fight to, to keep the, the walls of their own prison, almost. They'll fight to, to stay in it. Well, you said this earlier on. They'll, they'll fight tooth and nail in some cases to preserve a dreadful uh, system. There's a lovely analogy to be made, Mark, um, or to be drawn or from, from a scene in, in The Matrix uh, played by, Jesus, is it the actor Joe Pantoliano? 
he played the, the the traitor in in the Matrix, didn't he? He 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 went and told the machines that he was so fed up. Uh, put me back in. Real life is so awful. Put me back into the Matrix. And there's a bit there's a bit of that feeling with some people. They prefer the the dream world, the illusion of of democracy and goodness and the illusion of of uh, of, of of life to the reality that things are terrible. And I, I again. I forgive people for that. I never judge people for that. We all have our own journeys to make. Here's a theory now. It's not a theory. I've been having some thoughts lately. Now, I couldn't predict the winner of a horse in a one-horse race, Mark, right? Everybody knows that. If I say something's going to happen, it's unlikely to happen. But I've had this idea, you and others have been saying for some years that they might cause a big global internet outage. And I know you've talked about this and you've looked at the very various scenarios as to why they might do that. And I've listened to that with interest and, and I think y- you might be right. And I wonder, one of the ways to purge the internet, which, is w- which we need to do our jobs, whether we like it or not, one of the ways to purge everybody is to use their own phrase, build back better. What better than to, than to destroy the internet temporarily? cause a big collapse in the internet and cause all of the big social media companies and all of the other companies, uh, cause them to purge all of their account holders at the same time. Everything goes down, everything is emptied out, so you've got nothing. And then they build it back again, but with incredibly strict criteria about who can open an account here and who can open an account there. It might sound very far-fetched, but if I was in their shoes... No, I think that's what they're planning, Richie. I think that's what the Great Reset, Fourth Industrial Revolution is all about. It's about redesigning everything. So in other words, the internet will not be accessible to everyone. Some people will not be allowed on there. That's what this global health security system is all about yeah. too because a lot of this all is about the global health security and... That has to be tied in to everything you do with your social credit score. So that's what they want. Whether that's going to be achievable in the very near future is debatable, but it's very possible. It's very, very possible, isn't it? Loads of questions for you. Let me just very quickly just read a couple of comments um, because there's so many of them coming in. Loads of interest, Mark, and you being on the programme, pal. It's been it's been too long. Richard says, Richie, I think it's because you and Mark Windows are not money or material mad. Well, that's obvious, Mark. None of us have none of us that's have any right. none of us have yeah. any bloody money. Um, no. Who's this? Christopher says, Richie, for you and Mark, my friend Neville always went against the grain. Was always an independent thinker. But because of two hours a day Trump bashing and Joe Biden worshipping echo chamber, uh, time he spent on Facebook, he's so changed, even though he used to be an independent thinker. Also, he's had the vaccine and now he's had Bell's palsy. Jeez, I'm sorry to hear that genuinely. That's absolutely dreadful. Christine says, Richie, to the question you asked, Mark, I do think people see it, but it's easier to just stick two fingers in their ears and go la 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 la. It's too much information to cope with and they think it will never affect their own little lives. How wrong they are, says Christine. Now, Mark said that they're pushing too hard or he thinks they might be. Good point, Mark. And this coming autumn and winter, I think you and I would, again, we don't have to be Nostradamus, do we, when we say they're going to try and introduce lockdowns again. Or if people become very sick because the jabs might make them sick, 
they might blame it on variants. So we can predict that or we think it might happen. Do you think at that stage, if they did that, if they made people's lives unbearable again this winter with lockdowns, do you think that might push a lot of people to say, feck, no, I'm not having it anymore now. I'm not putting up with it. Could this autumn, winter, be an opportunity for us, people that do what we do, which is present the other side? I think it's interesting always to look at what happens in France because they have the real revolutionary spirit, not the revolutionary spirit or the interpretation of that in the UK, which is merely harnessed and steered by the state again. They actually generally do go against things. And the hatred that they have shown for Macron, smashing his picture in town halls, all sorts of footage, it's quite interesting this because Macron is the perfect example of a globalist puppet. And he is absolutely hated. So one thing I would say, these people are very well organized, but they don't always get it right. In fact, these puppets that they use are usually shown up to be puppets. And that's quite interesting. As far as the UK goes, the thing is, the more they push this, the less it's going to work. How many excuses can you keep hearing? Because a coronavirus is a coronavirus. So once you've had one, in effect, according to most doctors, you've pretty much had them all. So they can't keep introducing new variants and making all this stuff up. It's starting to get ridiculous because, of course, it wasn't a strong premise in the first place. It was just merely pushed very hard. And that's quite interesting to see how that turns out. Do you remember last year when all of this kicked off, you you did have some genuine opposition from genuine uh, academics, genuine. When I say genuine, I mean that they were real academics. Uh, People like uh, Sinetra Gupta and people like Carl Hennigan. They were appalled at lockdown. They they really were. They meant it. Well, I believe they meant it anyway. And one of the things I've been most disappointed by is that they must now understand what's really going on. And yet they've quietened down a bit. It's really disappointing that. And I know you'll probably think I'm naive, knowing what I know. But they were so vehemently opposed to lockdown and the dangers of it and what it would do to people. And they meant it, you know, when they got a little... When they got a little look in on the BBC or or on Sky, they made their cases very powerfully. And then they disappeared off Sky and the BBC and they don't get interviewed anymore, which which we expect. But I thought they would have done a bit more uh, since then. But they seem to just have meekly accepted their slapping down and, and gone away. That's disappointing, Mark. Well, it shows their amount of integrity to what they're doing. Yeah. Because if you have a good point and you have some facts, then you will keep on with your argument. And those that don't, I would say, well, they're part of it because the whole thing is that we do have gatekeepers in there. The It's the fake voice of opposition. You know, it's the controlled voice of dissent. So you can get these characters, yeah, like Ian Collins on LBC. They have no idea how anything works. They have no solutions and basically they rail against one side showing what they think is the more libertarian or right wing view, whatever they want to call it. None of these terms mean anything anymore. 
and get nowhere. So those people are always put into the media. Can I ask you a question so, on that? Can I just jump in very yes. briefly? This is a good point now you're making. So you've got Julia Hartley Brewer. Now I've been listening to her for years and years and years, going back to when she was on, even before LBC, she wrote for The Telegraph. And that's just because I read all the papers. I've always done it as part of my job, listen to all the other radio stations. Now, she has stated very clearly that she's had the jabs and she's delighted to have had them because she gets to go on holidays. That'll tell you how famous we are. Somebody knows that you're on the Richie Allen show all the yeah. way over there in Nepal. But, but Mark, she, 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 I've had the jab, she says, because I, I wanted it to go on holiday. I admire her honesty, right? So then she says, but I really do not believe anybody else should have the jab. Now, she's been vehemently saying that, like she means it, right? And she's gone after, you might say in a very mild way, but if, if she goes in, in on them very heavy, they won't come back on the programme. You heard her briefly earlier on, because it seems like you heard a bit of the monologue earlier on. So you heard her with Dominic Rabb. She's very adamant, like it's, it's, it's totalitarianism to be telling people, if you don't have a jab, you can't go to the nightclub or you can't go to a lecture. She kind of means that. So where do we place Julia then? And people like her, because she's done well, her job in that sense. she's not saying you know? any, anything about the evidence. No. She's not giving any evidence which would back up her argument, which would slam down the other side. She's just saying, well, I don't think we should be made to do it. That's not good enough. Yeah, fair That's enough. That's the position of gatekeeper. It's funny you say that what, because, uh, sorry, Mark, way back last year, uh, she did briefly do the job that you would have done and I would have done. She did briefly. She interviewed a minister and hammered him over the false positive rate for PCR tests. It was dynamic radio. It's the way it used to be for a few minutes. Mm. But you know what? Just to prove your point, she never brought it up again. After one no, show. No, because, <laughs> of course, they, they go to meetings. And as we know, yeah. the producers will say, well, you know, I think you were a bit heavy on that. Lay back on that for a bit yeah. because we need more information on it. This is how it all works. I mean, you and me can say what we want because we're independent. Yeah. But there is a big price to pay. Well, actually, it means you can't pay for anything. <laughs> Basically, right. I mean, I've been living on a shoestring for ages. And what's interesting, Richie, actually, is that you can travel. You still can travel and live very cheaply in other countries. And that's something that people should consider because it's not impossible. But the, to get back to what you're saying, yes, it all comes down to inner integrity. And that brings up what you were talking about earlier, this spiritual aspect. Because if you know inside what the truth is, then you're not going to let it go, are you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Look, yeah. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. And... You know, when back in 2014, when when this program was, was put together, I had the last offer I would ever get on the table from a commercial radio station. And I'd be a liar now if I said that it was integrity or spirituality that got me to turn it down. It wasn't. There was a lot of selfishness in it because I didn't want to be doing breakfast radio talking about the X Factor, Mark, you know, and talking about, uh, <laughs> you know, and all that garbage. You know, so I couldn't say that, but you know, I'm I'm, I'm glad that I made the change that I did, and, I, and and I also know that for many of these people, they have ridiculously overpriced houses to pay for, and they've got children going to private schools, and again, I don't want to sound like I'm giving any of them a pass. I am not. I I hammer them during my daily monologue nonsense. I do hammer them, but um, yeah, I I, I just yeah, I don't know. You're absolutely bang on. You're bang on to say that it's not good enough to say to Dominic Rabb, 
listen, you shouldn't insist people have the jabs. Uh, that must be followed up with, Mr. Rab, do you not know that these jabs have killed over 1,500 people that we know of? Do you not know that people are coming down with menstru- me- women, 25,000 reports of menstrual problems, uh, blood clots? You're right, Mark. She must say that. She must do. That's your bloody job, but she doesn't. Well, it doesn't stop transmission or carriage of the virus. Yes, exactly. to their own narrative. So if their own narrative doesn't make sense, then why isn't yeah. she bringing that up? The thing was interesting about Rab, he was a trained kind of communitarian. He was saying all about the rights of the community over the individual. But this is what I mean. They're speaking this language, and she does it as well. In fact, most of them do it. But to get back to your point about, yeah, they've got big houses and all the rest of it, I used to know quite a lot of people in media like you did. And I've been pretty much ostracized from them. They stopped getting in touch with me. All the little invitations to Soho stopped when they found out what I was doing. Yeah. And then you find out that, yeah, they basically cut you out. And that's the way showbiz works. That's the way it works. So if you want to be in showbiz, if you want to be in these kind of jobs, then they toe the line and they say, well, I've got mortgage to pay and all the rest of it. So... What can you say about that? Nothing. You begin. You begin oh. to self-censor. That's what you do. You begin. I've had. I've had radio presenters that are still in commercial radio confide to me that they agree that they've. You know, they, they don't even need to be told. You are right, by the way. They are regularly told by their producers and by station managers. But it gets to the stage where they don't even need to be told because they become conditioned to knowing that, well, I better, you know, it's like when anybody brings up anything. You know, if they have callers on phone-ins and the caller gets a bit too close to the bone, they jump back, you know, straight away, you know. I heard a guy, there was a classic example of this on BBC Radio last year. A guy came on and all he wanted to say was, look, um, I'm not in any way anti-Israeli. Uh, he said, but uh, I really, you know, uh, I really don't like what Israel does and I've not liked it for years. They kill people and they do all these things. And immediately the BBC guy goes straight into, almost like automatically, almost on autopilot, you know. Oh, listen, you know, the Palestinians do this and the Palestinians do that. I remember thinking, Jesus Christ, it works. They don't even have to impose it on these guys. They, they just do it automatically. They're, they're programmed, you know, rather than let the guy finish. Like, he shut the conversation down, get the caller off. We, we don't talk about that. We don't, uh, in, that, in that instance, criticise Israel. These days, they're doing it with anybody who's asking questions about the safety of the jabs. Uh, the, the talk radio is becoming infamous for it. James Whale and others screaming at people, telling them to shut up when people are just saying things like, Mark, well, do you know what? I, I'm not saying I'm anti the jab, but I'm just going to wait a while and see what it does to everybody else, you know, which is a pretty reasonable thing uh, to do. But they're abused and shouted at and kicked off the air. Stephen Nolan in Northern Ireland for the BBC is becoming incredibly aggressive with people who just say, well, I haven't had it, Stephen, no. Why? I'm not too sure about it. Uh, Get berated about not doing the right thing for your neighbours and for your family. Mark everything that you've explained to us so far tonight, this communitarianism thing. Don't do it for yourself, do it for your family. Am I right in saying that before this, maybe before the flu jab, so the flu jab, they've said, get it to protect granddad. But before that, established medical thinking was was that it's unethical to ask somebody to take a medicine on behalf of a third party. I'm right in saying that, right? That's how it used to be. Well, of course, of course. And this one's a treatment. But yeah. 
an interesting point just came into my head, Richie, that they tried all this with the swine flu and it failed. Oh, yeah. Pandemics. And the swine flu vaccine has not damaged anything like as many people as this one. But I remember a post that came up that I put up down about 10 years ago. And I stated, this is what was happening, that whenever somebody phoned up their GP, the call was put down as an inquiry about swine flu, even if it wasn't. And people forget this. So we have had this before, but now because of the sustainable development goals and the rapidly speeding agenda, they've gone for it full tilt with this. They've gone for it at 100 miles an hour, haven't they? A 1,000 miles an hour. Yeah. And booster jabs. Jonathan Van Tam was on BBC television today taking questions from young men and women. One of them asked him about a booster jab. A kid now who had two jabs said, what about my booster? And Van Tam very carefully said, well, for the moment, don't worry about a booster. We'll be getting boosters out to the older people. But we'll let you know in good time. Like boosters. Like it'll never end, will it? boosters for COVID, flu jabs, and God knows what else. And I know you've done some work on on the fact that vaccines are in development. We should say jabs are in development for pretty much every ailment, aren't they? Diabetes, obesity, all manner of illnesses. They're going to present in, in the very near future lots and lots of jabs. And do you think this will tie into the social credit model that you talked about earlier on? that not taking those offered lovely benevolent medicines to prevent yourself being obese and putting a burden on the NHS, to not take that up, you'll be a bad citizen, Mark. This is the next thing, is it? Yes, it's control, management, but reduction of population. That's what the Sustainable Development Goals are all about, to summarise them. So then you have to look at what is the agenda behind this? And in my view, the agenda is mass depopulation. Mass depopulation. Now, what I don't quite understand about this, Richie, is what they think they're going to achieve by it all. Because global populations are generally falling. Fertility rates are dropping because of the interference that's already gone on. And then what? So, okay, they've got this technocracy with a massive reduced population Everyone's sat at home, nothing being done, but then what? I don't think they've really thought it through, Richie, because at the end of the day, most people are actually quite communal. They like working together, going out, seeing each other. They don't want to be stuck in on their own. And this is what the model is now for many people that I know. Stay at home. And I don't think that this is going to work in the long term. So I see fatal flaws in this. We can't go into the detail here, obviously, but when I've looked through the documentation to this and followed it all through, the end result to me doesn't make much sense. Now, the depopulation, what do you think of what people like Sacharit Bhakti, for example, has said? I He's probably the most high-profile of the scientists that I managed to get an interview with. Although he won't come back on, Mark. Because <laughs> because when Martin Kuldorf came on from Harvard, the papers criticised him for coming on with me 
because I'm I, I'm 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 a bit of a bastard apparently. So he doesn't want to be targeted by the papers for coming back on. I think he wants to come back on. But anyway, long story short, he believes in this pathogenic priming. He believes in this um, antibody enhancement thing where if you get one of these jabs, the jab itself will cause your immune system to attack itself when you're exposed to other respiratory, ordinary things in the near future. And that's going to cause large loss of life. And look, you, I suppose neither of us ever went to um, science school or, or studied epidemiology. What do you think of that as a theory? Because there are others in the independent media who say that this is bullshit. This is kind of like um, a hoax to distract our attention. But I, I'm not sure it's a hoax. The people who've, who've, who've explained this to me, they seem to believe it anyway. What do you think of this pathogenic priming? Well, let's look at where all this came from, because this came from the threat of zoonotic disease. Yeah. And that link was created. And when we look at, I think it's called Global Health Alliance, which is part of the global health security system, you've got to remember at the top, they're making billions out of this. Well, Peter Daszak did those experiments between 2014 and 2019 um, on the link from bat viruses to humans that's all available yeah, you can yeah. see the papers on that and then they talk about gain of function now we don't know what's in those vaccines in fact most people don't know what's in those vaccines so we know that there is a plan to reduce the world population to what they call the global billion now, they are allowing for two to three billion people living much more frugally, but not by Western standards. So the aim is the global billion. And that came out of the biodiversity assessment in 1995. I've got the quote. There's an article on windowsontheworld.net called the depopulation plan. The quote is in there. Now, if you look at what this is really about, which is control, management and reduction of population, then it would make sense to enforce something on the public or coerce them very aggressively. And then when they actually do get ill, many will die. Now, the problem that the public have is they can't see that as an outcome. They think, well, they wouldn't do that. Well, they've clearly told you in yeah, the documents yeah. that that's what they're going to do. So I have looked into this. I do think that's credible. And to me, it resonates. Yeah, but, and... and, and Come on, sorry. No, mate, sorry to interrupt you. No, I shouldn't be interrupting you. No, I, I, I believe that the, the, the two people I've heard from most on the subject, namely the Irish scientist Dolores Cahill, and Sacharit Bhakti, whatever anybody might think of those people and how they present their information. And by the way, that's not loaded because I don't have any problem with how they present it. I know they believe it and they've explained it in a way that I could understand it. And none of those people had ever said anything like this before. I'm sure they're shocked to the core, these people. Imagine how they feel, Mark. 
these people that were mired in the system. You know, years and years ago, you saw that something was very wrong. You went on your journey. You started your journey. Imagine what it's like for these people. I often wonder about that. You know, the ones like, like them, like they've lost their jobs, these people. Well, Dolores has lost her job. They must, their heads must be spinning, realising that this is going on, that there is a, a medicine, a treatment, as you said, that could cause catastrophic loss of life in the next few years, you know. Um, thing about you that, 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 that I always like, by the way, windowsontheworld.net, do please check out Mark's website. I know you do, I know you do. But if, if you just happen to be hearing about him, it might be the first time you ever listen to this programme and um, you, you've, you've only come across Mark. Uh, he's been around for years, respected guy is Mark in uh, the independent media, a very good researcher, I would say a great researcher. And uh, it's been uh, brilliant listening to him so far this evening. Check him out, windowsontheworld.net. Always positive. I love that positivity. You know, they might be pushing it too hard. Um, this is silly, this. It's almost childish, but I can't help but ask it. Who's going to win this, Mark? They want to reduce the population to these numbers. They want to make human life unbearable. You said three billion living frugally, not to Western standards, like slaves, basically. Are we going to get out of it, mate, are we? Will enough people see it in time? If people catch on that the sustainable development goals are nothing to do with environmentalism, then that would be a good start. The public have to isolate issues and know the difference between being coerced through this communitarian system and looking at facts. Because even according to the enforcers of global governance, and I've got the quotes in my talk that was taken around, I think it's Otmar Edenhofer, who was high up in the UN. He said in an interview that we have to remember this is not an environmental program. Yeah. In fact, it has nothing or little to do with environmentalism anymore. So if they're saying that, then we have to look at what it really is. And through the technocratic system, through technocracy, which started in the 30s, through this new hive mind consensus view of reality where facts don't matter and there's one big global community and you're part of it, then once and if people are able to grasp that, which I don't think is a very complicated concept, then I think there's chance. In many countries around the world, I do think that people know what's going on. As far as the UK goes, it's been so infiltrated with this system, I get quite worried because most people are speaking this language. And I do think in the UK, people are very easily led. In other countries, not so much so. But it doesn't take that much. And I think if people are able to isolate issues and stop being distracted onto issues of no importance, in other words, fake remedies, things that aren't going to work, distraction issues, to remember that this is about the UN global governance system and its technocracy and it's technocrats, then stop thinking about party politics. 
stop attacking Boris Johnson or stop talking about any of these people because they've got nothing to do with what's going on. So I'm optimistic that enough mistakes or flaws in this plan are being exposed. What does concern me is the way the public are being weaponized against each other and actually falling for it. Because what these globalists want is they want the majority to turn on the 25% who do not want to get vaccinated or don't want to wear masks. That's what they're doing. The media is gaslighting the public to an extent which I find quite sinister. I find it sinister because I understand what they're doing. And a lot of people, because they watch the media all the time, they don't see that, but it actually sends shivers down my spine when I hear what they're saying. Yeah. Because it's absolutely menacing what they're trying to do. But yeah, I am optimistic because I think that there will be ways to survive outside this because <laughs> to use the words of the globalists, there are some very resilient people out there. And also there are people already planning and doing things. And that's what I've been talking about on the show recently, Richie. I've been speaking to Kieran Boyle in Ireland, other people who are actually doing things. They're not getting distracted onto issues of no importance and things that, as I say, aren't going to work. So I am quite optimistic about that because I think it's a very interesting period of history. That's a good place to leave it today, right? Next time you come back on, let's talk about the things that people are doing and what you're doing on your travels and on your journey, because I'd love to hear about it. Um, before yeah. we say goodbye for today, are you eating Nepalese style there, Mr. Windows? Are you, are you, are you going Roman while you're there? Are you doing the local thing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. I mean, I do like spicy food, but... Um, yeah, chow mein and momo. Get a bit ah. sick of that. Momo is like a dumpling with meat in it, which can be chicken or buffalo. But um, yeah, it's interesting because I've, I have friends here and also people who I consider sort of family, really. So it was an interesting journey, actually seeing if I could get here. And you can still move around. People in the UK often believe that they can't go anywhere, but you can and you don't have to be vaccinated. You don't have to be vaccinated to go anywhere because it says clearly in paragraph three, usually, or a PCR test, which we know is, well, what's that worth? But it means that you don't have to be vaccinated. So people have got this false idea that they're going to have to be double jabbed to travel. That's the gaslighting of the media, implying that everyone has to be vaccinated. And you don't. No. I know, I know the the short haul carriers, the shorter trip carriers. I know they're trying to introduce it at the moment. You be careful now, my pal. I mean that in terms of, you know, keeping an eye on what these carriers are doing, and because you don't want to get trapped somewhere. But I don't have to tell you how to suck eggs. You've got a big brain on you anyway. But they're they're changing the goalposts all the time. But uh, 
It sounds all am- the time, Richie. Absolutely, yes. But it sounds amazing. I, I, I've never travelled as far afield as Nepal. I'd love to see that part of the world. I don't know if I ever will. But um, great to have you on, mate. You know, you know, I love you. Um, I have to. I said this before when I first met Mark. I wasn't very nice to Mark when I first met him, and that was that was that <laughs> we was. Were, it was a pressurized situation. Well, though, do you know? Do you know what? We were, what yeah, pressure cook. What it was was we. I'd come from Spain and 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 I was broke and I was terrified that the TV thing wouldn't work. And of course, it was never going to work anyway, regardless of what we did. And I was just terrified and. Uh, I generally behaved myself, but I was I, I was a bit mean spirited at times, which isn't me really. But look, you you were ma- magnanimous enough when when I phoned you up and said, "Listen, I was a bit of an idiot." You can't beat people like you, you know. The, the people who say, "Fair enough, I don't mind, we'll move on." I've always appreciated that, um, Mark. You're great, and Windows on the World dot net is great. You can catch it on YouTube. You can catch it at Mark's website and on Spreaker as well. And we do a show every nine thirty, Richie. It's nine thirty p.m. UK time every Sunday on the live shows page of Windows on the World dot net. We're also on Odyssey. And please subscribe to us on Spreaker. We also have a Discord channel where you can join in the conversation, all at the homepage of windowsontheworld.net. Just wanted to get that in. Yeah. Absolutely right. You get some brilliant guests on. Um, don't leave it as long as this last, it was last summer. Don't, mate. Get in touch. You know the way it is with me. I do this five times a week. I'm on my own. It's not that I forget people, but you know what it's like, isn't it? Out of sight, out of mind, even though I do keep in touch with windowsontheworld.net. So give me a shout when you've got something to, to, to scream about. You do it on your own program anyway. Way. But um, g- give me a shout when you when you want to come on. We'll no, it'd be good on. to do more regular ones, Richie, Absolutely. because I know what it's like. Yeah, you have to book guests every day, so it's mental, yeah. you are pressurised. Yeah, we'll have to do it again soon. Look after yourself, my friend. Safe travels to you. Thanks, Mark. Okay, thanks, Richie. Cheers. That's uh, Mark Windows, my friend Mark Windows, windowsontheworld.net, Spreaker, 9.30 on Sunday nights. That's UK time. Check out the live programme. And he's got... Um, Brilliant guests. And they're brilliantly briefed, just as he is as well, Mark Windows. Just in case you think I was uh, really nasty, I wasn't. I wasn't. When when the London thing happened back in 2013, it was a very difficult environment. And I'd come from Spain and I didn't have a penny. And it was vital to me that it worked, uh, you know, that it that it was sustainable, the, the, the project. Otherwise, I'd have been high and dry. So I was a bit demanding of the people around me, having spent so many years in a mainstream media environment. I wasn't nasty to anybody or underhand. If I had something to say to somebody, I would say it to their faces. And I got on well with everybody. But I gave Mark a little bit of stick because he was kind of like my opposite presenter. And I would give him stick about some of the things that he might say on the programme and stuff like that. This is the reason why I've always said I could never be a manager of people. Because I'm like a bull in a china shop. (laughs) There are some people who are cut out to be managers and there are others who are not. I should never be a manager. Because I remember when many years ago uh, somebody said to me with with the people's voice, somebody said, Richie, you're going to be the manager now. You'll be kind of head of programmes because of all your experience. And I said, no chance. No chance. Why? Because people won't work for me. Why you're a nice... I said, I am a nice guy. I'm a very nice guy. I get on with people. But I'm not very good at getting people to do things. I don't have the diplomacy, you know. I bet you're dying of shock there. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Horses for courses. But uh, Mark was great. And uh, 
we've uh, we've gotten on very well very since. I put my hands up and I said, listen, I'm not the easiest guy in the world to work with. And uh, we, we, you know, we, we got on well after that. Great guy, Mark Windows. It's 19 minutes to seven o'clock. This is your Richie Allen radio show. I've got something I want to talk about very briefly when we come back from a little bit of Roy. A candy-coloured clown they call a Yeah, the big O, Roy Orbison, and In Dreams on the Richie Allen Radio Show, Thursday's programme, Thursday afternoon. It's been strange the last two days. I've not used my beautiful new air conditioning system in studio. I haven't needed it. It's not been uh, that warm, really. It's not cold either, but I've not needed to use it. Look, let me just talk about this very briefly. I had a good laugh this morning with uh, the, the, the fabulous... Paul Ripley, no pun intended, the man behind Fab Radio. Paul was in the studio this morning doing a bit of engineering because we lost the phone-in show last night because there was a software fail, a big fail. But he came and he sorted it anyway. And Paul was incredulous. He was incredulous and he was laughing at the, at the, the podcast charts for the UK and how well the Richie Allen show is doing and has been doing for ages. And I said to Paul, look, I want to write about this. I want to put something online. But I genuinely don't want to come across like I'm bragging. Because I, I don't want to come across like that. Because I don't brag. I don't sit around getting excited about these things. But it's, a, it's, it's momentous, really, what's been going on. So Paul said, look... Paul's very funny, Paul, in his own way. He's got a very dry sense of humour. He said, look, go on your website and just stick two fingers up to the mainstream and brag, do a, do a Liam Gallagher or a Noel Gallagher on it. And I said, well, we're not going to do that jokingly. We're not going to say F you to the mainstream. But um, the Richie Allen radio show isn't competing with the UK's national radio stations. It's, uh, it's beating them. The podcast of the programme is being downloaded and listened to far more, in, in some cases far more, than the programmes of the country's most famous radio presenters. This is astonishing, this. It's groundbreaking. It's never been done before. It should be in the newspapers, this. But it won't be. And you ask me why I'm not being modest, I have no idea why. I really don't. Is there that much of an appetite now for something alternative? Is there? I don't know the answer to that. But I'm pretty pleased about it. And I put the thing online today to say thanks to everybody who supported this project, because it is a project, since 2014, since September 2014, when I first presented the Richie Allen Show, which you're listening to now. This is it. It's, it's grown and it's evolved over seven years. But I never saw this coming. I never saw this coming. I really didn't. It's an astonishing thing to be contacted by the compilers of a podcast chart for them to tell you, a bloke who operates out of a home studio, which is lovely, it's all bells and whistles, but I've got no support from anybody. You support me. What I mean is I've got no publicity support. I don't have a radio station or a publicity department pushing me. I don't. And yet this podcast on Apple, on iTunes, is killing the, the, the podcasts of the biggest names in the country. 
What an amazing thing that is. I don't know what to say about that. And at the same time, you know, it's easy then to forget that it's a live show. And the, 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 the live numbers are just ridiculous and they're not counted, of course, in the podcast charts. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I want to re-emphasise that there's no support from any publicity department. There's no advertisements in newspapers. There's no television advertisements about this radio programme. And yet, it has that kind of a reach. It's, it's astounding. So thank you, really. Thank you to every, every one of you who's ever sent a, a, a support, whether it's five quid or ten quid or more or less, it's you, really. It's it's amazing, really, to me. I, I, I don't have words for it. I'm delighted, you know. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not smug. I'm not egotistical about it. And I'm certainly not sticking two fingers up at the mainstream media presenters, some of whom have been very unkind to me in recent years in some of the things they've said about me on their programmes. It would be easy for me to be triumphalist about it, but I don't have a triumphalist bone in my body. I'm just chuffed to bits that it's it's doing the numbers that it's doing. And as long as I can continue to do it, you know, let's hope it keeps reaching more and more people. And you'll continue to support it, won't you? If you can, if you have the means, you'll continue to support it. And I'll continue to do it. And we'll we'll, we'll crack on, really. I'm relentless in my pursuit of perfection, which is a big character flaw because there is no such thing as perfection. You can't be perfect. But I'll never stop trying to improve what I do to make it sound a bit better, to be a bit funnier when I do my monologues, to make you laugh more, to make you listen more, to make you think more. I'll relentless, I'll be relentless in my pursuit of improving uh, the programme. And so long as there's no sabotage by the, the podcast uh, company owners will continue to reach more and more and more people. So, yeah, wonderful. There, there's a little piece about it on richieallen.co.uk. Please check it out. And, you know, it was said to me twice today, Richie, don't forget what happened to you back in 2012. And that's an important milestone for me. Back in 2012, I was in Spain and I was languishing. We were languishing. Well, Caroline, my, my better half, the oft-mentioned El Frago Tremendo, was, was an accountant, so she was working for a firm in Gibraltar. But we didn't have any money, and I, I was out of work, struggling really badly, barely scraping together the rent. And LBC Radio in London contacted me, told me they were very interested in me. They'd listened to my showreel, and they knew what I had been doing in Spain at Talk Radio Europe. And they said to me, you're, we think you're excellent. We think you'll fit in with our stable of presenters and we see you doing something late in the evening. Come and see us, they said. Fly into Luton Airport and come and see us in, in Leicester Square and we'll do something. And I was incredibly excited at the time because we were broke and things were desperate. They were desperate really desperate. I don't even want to think about it because I'd get emotional about how bad it was. And I said to them, I don't have any money. And they said, well, look, fly over and we'll reimburse you. LBC Radio. Caroline's father doesn't have a pot to piss in. In France, Daniel, great guy. Content, plays the, plays the, the, the um, squeeze box, plays the accordion, smokes his pipe, 
he has his bike, his motorbike, and he loves it. Lovely fella. Caroline's dad, she loves him. I love him. He didn't have a pot to piss and he gave me the money for the flight. I didn't even have a suit. I just had a smart pair of trousers and, and I had a decent jumper. And I flew into Luton Airport and I went to LBC Radio. And it all went tits up. Sometime in the interim period of me getting on the flight in Malaga to when I landed in London, they were spooked off of me. I think they'd gone on social media or they realised that doing my radio show in Spain, I was featuring people like Jim Mars and David Icke and others. And in the meantime, they got spooked. And when I arrived there, they treated me like a piece of dirt on the bottom of your shoe. I never got past reception. They humiliated me. Guy came out to me, wasn't even the manager, not even the guy I was dealing with, and said to me, we don't put people like you on the air. Basically, who the fuck are you, basically? And I'm standing there, having used the money that Caroline's father had given me. I had nothing, and I'm stunned. I regret to this day, because I'm a Celtic, I'm an Irishman, I'm a fighter, to this day I regret that I didn't knock him out, because I'd fuck all to lose, really. Excuse my language. It's important I express myself here. I had nothing to lose. I could have knocked him right out. I say I regret it to this day, but a part of me thinks that it's not really who I am, so it was the right thing not to become violent. And I walked back out of the office, stunned, having to go back to Spain. And I went to a pub just around the corner from Leicester Square, and I sat there, and I was so stunned. I had a pint of Guinness, I think, in front of me. An old lady said to me, sitting next to me in the pub, the pub was rammed, Friday it was, an old lady said to me, you all right there, son, you look like you've just seen a ghost. And I said, I'm okay, I'm okay. And I went back to the airport in Luton, where I was staying that night. And I met a bloke there. He was a businessman. And I told him the whole story. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any money to buy a drink. And this businessman bought me drinks all night long. Got on the plane the following morning. Came back to Spain. Had to face my missus. And tell her we, I can't, I don't have the money to, to return to your old man. It took me months of threatening and harassing the guy who's no longer with LBC now to get the plane fare back, which I did. And at that stage, I was going to London to do some television programmes with David. It was an amazing thing, really, to happen. And I'm kicking the arses of their primetime presenters in 2021 from a home-built studio that was built with the support of the amazing Jean Ann Crowley and Cleggan and Connemara. People like Patricia Braunschweiler. People like Paul Ripley. People like Hayden Hewitt. People like Mark Bajerski. Sitting here, no producers, no editors. No radio station. No publicity. And Ian Dale and the gang of scumbags that currently work for LBC, they can't beat me. I don't have a bitter bone in my body. 
I've never been twisted. I've never been triumphalist. But Christ, sometimes you wonder about karma, don't you? Sometimes you wonder about karma. Yeah, I saw today of all days it was worth repeating that story. I've told that story before. Here we are. <clears throat> there are philosophical people who listen to me and who get in touch with me. And they say things like, Richie, if it, if it wasn't meant to be, it'll never pass you, boy. Your journey was always taking you down a certain direction, a certain path. You were always going a certain way. And these inconveniences along the way, they were just little trials and tribulations. Um, you know, to, to, to overcome. I'm not sure I overcame them, you know, in any way. It was a very difficult time for me. But it's an interesting day for me today. You know, I've never been, I've never had the Muhammad Ali, I've never had the Donald Trump thing, you know, where you scream about how, you know, that you've done this and you've done, I've never been like that. This show is not about me. I said this on the website today, it really is not about me, this program. I despise the people who make the, the information about them. You know, the people who want to be the star in place of the information, I despise them. It's not about me, it's about the guests, it's about the research, it's about people like Mark Windows, who's come on here tonight after doing years of research into what's going on. That's what it's about, it's about you when you phone in, it's about an open dialogue. It's not about me. No such thing as celebrity, it's an illusion, it's nonsense. But um, conflicted emotions, a part of me wants to do what Paul Ripley said today, which is stick your two fingers up at them and say, what do you think of that? How do you like them apples? But I won't do that because pride comes before a fall. Next week, my podcast ratings could be down in the gutter and these people might have beaten me next week. Who knows? But this week, it's a bit of a red letter day for the independent media and for our programme. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for being there. For me. Now, the next time we talk will be Sunday morning. Sunday morning melodies, 10 o'clock. It's uh, something of nothing and it's nothing of something. It's a show where I play a few tunes and we have a chat. It's two hours. It's a bit old school. It's lovely. For me, it's an oasis. I get to not think about stuff and just have a chat with you about songs and about stories. So if you want to join me on Sunday, please do. Until Sunday morning, thank you to Mark Windows. Go to windowsontheworld.net and closing out with this lovely song, which I did play on a recent Sunday Morning Melodies. It's Whitney Houston and the greatest love of all. Have a fantastic weekend. Speak right soon. Bye now. Bye. <laughs>